Masechet Baba Kama Daf Kof Dalid. The Mishnah stated, Lo yiten lo libno velo Someone steals money from someone else and then lies and swears falsely, denying it. Um, so in order to make Teshubah, uh, one of the steps is he has to return what he stole, the item or the money, and he has to return it directly to the victim and put it in his hand. He cannot send his son and he cannot send a messenger, although he can send a shaliach betin. If the messenger is appointed by betin and he puts it in the betin's hand, then that's uh, that's official, and then he's exempt. And even if something happens on the way, once he gave it to the betin, what well, gave it to the agent of the betin, then he is he returned it and he's uh, and he's exempt. However, if he gives it to a son or a non-authorized. Uh, um, uh, uh, agent not authorized by the betin, then um, if the agent takes it and it gets lost on the way, the um, sender, the robber, is still responsible to pay again. Itmar shaliach shasao be'adim rab chistamad have shaliach raba amad lo have shaliach. So now there's machloket about a messenger that is made with witnesses. Um, that is, if the victim. Um, appoints uh, uh, in front of witnesses, appoints a messenger, and says, "Go! I, I don't, I don't want to go my, I don't, I don't want to go myself. I don't want to wait till the robber goes and uh, and brings it to me. Here, you go on my behalf, and here in front of witnesses, I appoint you." And so now this guy comes to the robber and says, "Listen, I'm appointed by the victim in front of witnesses. How about that? Is that okay?" Uh, so Rav Chista says, "Yes, that is a shaliach." And once the robber gives him the money. That's it. He is exempt, um, and uh, even if it gets lost on the way, but Rabbah says no. That's not. It's still not good enough. It's not not the same as a shaliach betin. And if it gets lost on the way, the robber will have to pay again. Rav Chista Marav Shaliach Lehachi Tarchevuk Mebeadim Deleku Birshute. So we'll explain each side. Rav Chista says this is a shaliach, and that's why the um, send the the victim, the sender, uh, took the trouble of pointing. Pointing, appointing him in front of witnesses so that, yes, this will be under, uh, to put the matter under the agent's domain, <clears throat> that he is officially recognized by me and um, I take full responsibility once it gets into his hand. However, But Rabbah says, no, he's not an official agent that represents the sender who is the victim, but rather uh, what the victim is saying, listen, uh, I, 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 point, I, I, I appointed this guy in front of witnesses just to tell you that he's a trustworthy person. I, I think he's trustworthy. And therefore, if you, the robber, want to rely on him to send the money, then go ahead and send the money in his possession. But it doesn't mean I'm taking responsibility. The agent's not taking responsibility and the victim is not taking responsibility. He's just offering him as a good suggestion that he's the kind of guy that um, does uh, you can trust. Um, but ultimately, even with, with witnesses, it's the robber's responsibility to make sure that it gets there. Best ways if he goes himself um, or uh, a court-appointed betting is also good. But even a witness, even an agent in front of two witnesses is not an official witness. Okay, now we're going to uh, challenge Rav Chista from a couple of sources. First, from a Mishnah in Baba Metziah. Tenan, ha-shu'alat ha-para, v'shidecha b'yad beno, b'yad avdo, b'yad shilucho, o b'yad beno, b'yad avdo, b'yad shilucho, shel sho'el, u'meta, 
patur. Someone wants to borrow a cow from uh, the owner of the cow and so now it has to get there and so just like in the previous case the um uh, tra- transportation is always dangerous what happens if something happens if uh, it gets lost or damaged on the way who's going to be responsible so if the owner of the cow sends it with the son or slave or messenger of the owner of the cow or if he sends it in the hands of the son or slave or messenger of the borrower Either way, if it dies on the way, the borrower is exempt from paying, not his problem. In other words, it's the sender's responsibility to make sure that it gets there safely, no matter who he sends, whether from his side or from the other side. Um, And the borrower is not responsible until it gets to his hands. So uh, let's explain this Mishnah. Uh, When it says he sends it with a messenger, what would be the case of a messenger? If the borrower may uh, appointed a messenger, um, not in front of witnesses, then how would anybody know that this person is an agent of the borrower? Uh, Some random guy shows up at the door of the owner of the cow and says, oh, I'm a messenger for uh, the Mr. Borrower. Well, but there's no witnesses and no proof. So he could be anybody. So that there's no way to know he was an agent. So it can't be that case. Rather, it just makes sense. It must be that he appointed him with witnesses. And so there's proof. He comes to the door. He says, look, here's witnesses that um, were there. He, they, these witnesses saw the borrower appoint me as an agent to take this cow. And the witnesses say, yes, yeah, we, they, we saw him say that. And nevertheless, the borrower is not responsible if it dies on the way. There's a challenge to Rav Chista, who just said that if you appoint an agent with witnesses, then, then that, that is an official agent. Um, and um, let's say in, uh, in our case, if the victim appoints an agent in front of witnesses, once it gets into the hands of the agent and it gets lost, so the robber does not have to give a, a pay again. That's it. The agent takes responsibility. But over here, the borrower who appointed the agent in front of witnesses does not have responsibility. Um, he says, Patur. So how can we reconcile Rav Chista? In fact, this is a case where the agent was not appointed in front of witnesses. The borrower just sent him. And that which you asked, well, how do you know that this is an agent of the borrower? We're talking about a case where it was the right, the a person who works for the for the borrower, the guy who wants to borrow the cow, is it's his hired hand or his regular harvester. So every, people recognize him. Oh, this is the guy. Yeah, he works on on the borrower's field, if he shows up and says, listen, my boss, uh, you know, wants to borrow the cow. I'm here to take it. Um, So then we know that he is, in fact, um, uh, has been sent by the borrower. The thing is that it's not in front of witnesses, so it doesn't become official, and it's not, it doesn't take on. It doesn't. He doesn't take responsibility for it. So that's how Rav Chista can reconcile it. Rav Chista actually says this about another case, the case coming up. We're just using Rav Chista's answer that he said in the next case and applying it here also because it, it it answers the question. So here now another challenge against Rav Chista. Tenan. This one from our Mishnah. 
לא ייתן, לא לבנו ולא לשלוחו, היי שלוחו הכי דמה. למשנה תות, that a robbery victim who wants to repay what he owes should not give it to um, the son of the victim or the agent of the victim, uh, that the victim sends someone. So this agent, what kind of case is it? If the robbery victim did not appoint this agent in front of witnesses, then how is anybody supposed to know that he's an agent? A random person shows up at the robber's door and says, Oh, I'm an agent for the victim and uh, get, you pay, give me the money. Uh, it can't be. Rather, must be that the agent appointed him in front of witnesses. And the witnesses come along. Yes, we are witnesses. We saw this is an official agent of the victim and you should pay him for it. And yet the Mishnah says that it doesn't work. Um, and that, that return, uh, giving that him, that agent, the money, is not considered returning the lost item until it gets actually to his hands. And if it gets lost on the way, the robber will be responsible. So this is, uh, this is exactly against Rav Chista, who said that if it's in front of witnesses, an agent is valid. Again, here Rav Chista says, we're talking about a case where the victim uh, sent this agent not in front of two witnesses. If it was in front of two witnesses, then that's Rav Chista says, would, yes, he, the agent would be responsible. Um, but here we're talking about where the um, victim sent his regular worker. That everybody knows, you know, who's this guy? Oh yeah, this is the, uh, the worker who works on the victim's field. And he shows up, so that's how we know that he is in fact an agent uh, for the for the victim. However, since it was not in front of two witnesses, so he does not take on responsibility for it, and therefore the robbery victim should not use uh, give it to him, but should make sure it gets to the victim directly. We ask a follow-up question against Rav Chista. So you're telling me that if the victim sent an agent with witnesses, then what? Then it would be an official shaliach, and the robbery, the, the robber would be then exempt once he um, repays it to the hands of the uh, agent. Well, then the continuation of the Mishnah doesn't make sense because the continuation of Mishnah is distinguishing between a regular agent and an agent of the Betin. If he gives it to the agent of the Betin, then that's official. But we always want, if we want to make a uh, um, a distinction. We always want to make the finest distinction possible, and so we should have made uh, the Mishnah should have made a distinction within an agent of appointed by the victim and said, if it's a regular agent that he just sent without witnesses is no good. But if he sent an agent with witnesses, then that is that is official. Rather than jumping to a more uh, a, 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 a totally different case of a shaliach appointed by Betin. So the fact that it goes, that only it talks about shaliach Betin suggests that if he appointed the, bet, uh, the shaliach in front of witnesses, still, it would not be good. Challenge And the answer that the rabbis give is that um, the agent appointed by the victim uh, is is not a definite case. It's not one that you can say across the board. Whereas the shaliach that's made by a betin, you can make a declaration across the board. Any type of shaliach made by the appointed by the court 
will be a valid shaliach. And it doesn't matter whether the nigzal, the victim, goes to court and says, hey, can you send a shaliach for me? Or if the robber goes to court and asks the court, can you send a, uh, make a shaliach for me to uh, send the repayment? Um, either way, either way works. Those are both are called official, officially recognized, designated agents, and they take responsibility. That's why the Mishnah can say that as a definitive statement. But if it's if the betin does not get involved, but only witnesses, then if the nigzal, um, if the um, uh, victim makes it, uh, points it, then it is officially a shaliach. This is according to Rav Chista. But if the robber makes it, it's not a officially a shaliach. So by the time the Mishnah has to give make this distinction, doesn't want to be so wordy and have to make uh, these fine distinctions. So rather, it uh, chooses a case that's easier to say because it's categorical. All shaliche betin are good. So that's why he says a regular shaliach that has no witnesses is no good across the board. A shaliach betin um, is good across the board no matter who makes it. And the Mishnah doesn't want to deal with the more complicated case, even though it's true that if the sender, if the victim makes a shaliach from the betin, then that will be a good shaliach. But if the robber makes a betin, uh, makes a shaliach in front of witnesses, it will not be officially recognized. Or this interpretation of the Mishnah is uh, excludes the following uh, Tana, uh, which is a Braita, and then Shimon ben El Azad. In other words, our Mishnah, uh, according to this interpretation within Rav Chista, will not agree with Rabbi Shimon ben El Azad's opinion, who says that a Shaliach of a Betin that was uh, made by the a victim, and if the victim goes to a Betin and asks him to make a be, make make one make a, a, an agent, um, but was uh, not made by the robber. So in that case, patur, if it gets, if something should happen to it on the way. So in other words, the nigzal, the victim can make an official shaliach um, betin, right? So that actually everybody agrees with. But here's with the other part. Or if the victim, if the robber rather, made a, a court-appointed shaliach and he sent it, and in the meantime, the the uh, victim also sent a shaliach to receive it from him. In that case, also we will recognize that the the agent sent by the robber, because the victim obviously agrees to it, because he sent his own shaliach to meet him in the middle and accept the item. Um, uh, so in that case. Also, if it gets lost on the way, um, before the agent appointed by the court and the robber meet the agent uh, appointed by the uh, victim, if it gets lost before they meet, so the robber is exempt. So in that case, also would be good. But only in that case. So we this suggests that if the if the victim had, did not send an agent at all, and it was only the robber who went to Betin, and and they made an agent for him, and he's on the way and loses it, then the robber would be liable to send it again. So this is against Amrishnah, because Amrishnah, uh, as we just explained, 
um, says that this is la pesica. If the bet, if the betin chooses, appoints a, a, a messenger, no matter what, whether it's by the victim or by the robber, that's an official mes- official messenger. And if it gets lost, the robber does not have to send it again. But according to this, there is a case where the robber's um, me- court-appointed messenger will not be officially recognized. So now we say, we've been challenging Rav Chista the whole time. Now we note that Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Elazad, they both agree with Rav Chista and they say that a, a, mes- a, a messenger that was made with witnesses is a good messenger. That is the victim that made the messenger. That uh, That's good. And once again, it's into his hands, it's considered a return. And if you ask, what about our Mishnah that uh, says a shaliach, and it says, don't, don't, don't send it in the hands of a shaliach, of the victim. So explains, the Mishnah is not talking about a regular uh, agent that's appointed in front of witnesses. In that case, it would be good, right? That's what, that's what the, all these sages say. But when our Mishnah says... Um, that do not send it in front of an agent is talking about a, this particular case where the victim sends an agent and it tells the agent, listen, I have money that this guy ha- is, uh, owes me because he robbed it from me. Um, and But the problem is he doesn't have anyone to send it with. He just doesn't have a way to get it here. So go appear in front of him and uh, maybe just because he doesn't have anyone so he can send it with you. So it's not that the victim, the victim is appointing him officially as an agent. He's just telling him, listen, go over there, present yourself as an option for the robber. If he wants, he can send it. If he wants, he can send someone else, but maybe he just doesn't have anybody else. So then uh, you can get it from there. But he doesn't mean to appoint him officially as an agent that will be responsible. The victim doesn't want to take responsibility for something happening on the way. The victim has a right to get it into his hands. It's the robber that has to make sure that it gets into his hands. So the victim will make it easier. Oh, you're going there anyway. You know, ask the robber if he wants to send it with you, but the robber will still be responsible. That's the case of the Mishnah. Uh, but if he, sent to, if he appointed him as an official agent in front of witnesses, then that he would be resp- the agent would be responsible. Or we can answer as we as we have before that the it was in fact not in front of witnesses that the victim sent the agent. And well, when you ask, well, how do you know he's an agent? It was someone that works for the victim. So um, that's how everybody knows that. And um, so he comes and says, hey, listen, the, the victim sent me to you, the robber, to pay. Um, but he was not officially appointed as an agent, and therefore the robber would still be responsible um, if something happened on the way. And that is the case of the Mishnah. Now that we mentioned the problem of things getting lost on the way when you send it with an agent, we learn another halacha about this. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shemuel, En mishalachin ma'ot bid yokani va'afilu adim chatumim aleha. Rabbi Yochanan, Amar im adim achatumim aleha mishalachin. Let's say you have a creditor, he wants to collect money from the debtor, uh, but he can't get there himself. So, and the debtor's not coming to, to, to give it himself. So, the creditor sends an agent. 
Um, now, how uh, how's the debtor going to know that this agent is truly uh, sent by the uh, by the sender? Um, so Shemuel's ruling is that one should not give money to a messenger who comes with a document that has a figure on it. Diukani, it's a Greek word, it means a, a figure, um, and uh, this would be some kind of drawing or stamp that is uh, known to be that of the sender or a signature. Even if there are witnesses that are signed on it authenticating that this signature, this symbol really is uh, that of the sender, and uh, therefore you can trust that this is an authorized agent, nevertheless, Shemuel says, not good enough, do not trust that agent. And if you send the money with him and it gets lost, then the one who's paying, the debtor, will still be responsible to pay for it. Not an authorized signature. It's not a guarantee once you hand over the money to the agent that that's it. Now that's the creditor's responsibility. No, don't trust such a symbol. However, the Hanan argues and says, listen, it's, if it's the, just a drawing by itself, then you can't, uh, then that's not, doesn't authorize the agent. But if there are witnesses signed on it, then once the uh, debtor hands over the money to the agent, that's it, it's out of his hands. Now it's the responsibility of the creditor. Um, and uh, if the agent lost it, then he would not have to pay again. Okay, Amri Lishmuel Maitakantav. Now we ask, according to Shmuel, what what can we do in such a case where it's not possible for them to get together personally, and the creditor wants to collect money and wants to send someone? How, in what way, would it be possible to authenticate an agent so that? Uh, the uh, the the uh, debtor would know that. Uh, see, the debtor doesn't want to send money and then it gets lost and he has to pay again. He wants a guarantee that this is the agent, and that once he gives it to the agent, then the agent will be responsible. So, how can we uh, accomplish that according to Shemuel? We have an answer in the following story. Uh, Rabbi Abba was owed money by Rav Yosef Bar Hama. So Rabbi Abba, he's not getting to Rav Yosef's house, but he wants to collect his money. So uh, So Rabbi Abba tells Rav Safra, you're going to the area where Rav Yosef lives. lives. On your way back, can you go and bring Bring, uh, collect the money for me and bring it back to me. So Rav Safra is happy to comply and he goes to Rav Yosef's house. Uh, but it's Rava, Rav Yosef's son, who's dealing with the matter. So this is Rava, Rav Yosef's son. He's the debtor. And um, uh, Rava says, um, it says, It says to the messenger, uh, Rav Safra, do you have a receipt that says, I have received the payment. In other words, I want you to give me a receipt from Rabbi Abba that says um, that you received the payment, and I'll hold on to that receipt. That way, in case it gets lost on the way, or a miscommunication, or something happens, and he comes and says, oh, you never paid me. Well, how am I going to have proof that I paid you, and you're really the authorized agent? Amale la says, no, I don't have such a receipt. So therefore, Rav says to Rav Safra, go back and get such a receipt, and then, and then come back, and a, a receipt that says, I received payment. 
Now it's going to be very inconvenient to go and come back. Who knows if he's uh, on the way back? Um, after thinking about it more, Rava said, you know what? It won't even help. Even if you go back and get a receipt that says, I, uh, I received payment, still, it would not be sufficient for us. Because it could be that Rabbi Abba will write a receipt and he will authorize you, Rav Safra, to be an agent. But by the time you get here, Rabbi Abba may die. Now, once he dies, the agency is null and void. And in that case, Rav Safra, uh, he, he doesn't even, he may not even know that Rabbi Abba died in the meantime. But uh, uh, Rav Safra will not no longer be an agent, and instead the payment will be due to the orphans, and this receipt of Hitkabalti of Rabbi Abba will be nothing because then the orphans will say, uh, what, "What? What? Who wrote this receipt? Our father? What do you mean? After he died?" Uh, this is you gave it to an agent, but he wasn't an agent because he had already died by the time you gave him the money. We never received the money, and then we're going to have to pay again. So even if you come up with the receipt. From Rabbi Abba, still, we, uh, there's no guarantee to us that we won't have to pay again. And so I'm not going to pay the money unless he has to come himself. But he's not coming himself. So what are we going to do? So Rav Safra says, what can I do? What can I do to satisfy you that you will know that I'm, I'm an agent and you can pay me and then you'll be off the hook? And the answer is, Zil nakninu lach agab ar'a at ketob lach. So, here's the Rava says, here, here's what we should do. Um, go back uh, to uh, uh, Rabbi Abba, and Rabbi Abba should transfer to you the debt um, uh, with land. See, um, with money with m- money and movable things, you have to either have the item itself to pull it, but if you don't have the item itself, you can do a Kinyan Agav. If one person uh, transfers land, you could say, together with the land, I'm also transferring to you this uh, movable item, or this money, or even this debt. So therefore, he should transfer the debt over to you, in which case, Rava and his father will owe the money no longer to Rabbi Abba, but rather they'll owe the money to Rav Safra himself. And then Rav Safra on his next trip will go and collect the money himself. And he's right there, so you're paying the uh, creditor directly, and then we'll know, oh, we paid you directly, and then you can go and work it out with, uh, with Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba obviously trusts you, and then you will uh, pay him for uh, pay, pay him the rest of the money, and so that is a solution to the problem. Um, so you can't, you cannot trust, according to Shemuel, you cannot trust a signature or a, a, a design, even if there's witnesses on it. So then, how can you ever appoint an agent that you will know that this is that this is truly him? And even if he comes with a document and a receipt, maybe the sender died in the meantime. So this is a way to do it. You transfer the loan to the agent, so it's no longer an agent. He's actually, the ag- agent becomes the creditor himself. And another story sim- that's similar, Rav Papa, 
uh, was owed 12,000 dinad of a residence of Be Hozai, which was uh, far away. And so he wanted to collect it. So he, tra- he wasn't traveling there. He transferred the debt to Rav Shemuel Bar Abba by the threshold of his house. In other words, here, you acquire a piece of this threshold. It doesn't have to be a big, a lot of land. It could just be a little, even a small piece of land. Here, acquire my threshold of my house, and with it, acquire also this debt. So then Shemuel Bar Abba, he went there, and uh, he was able to collect it that way. And on his way back, um, Rav Papa was so happy that his, he was able to have his debt collected that he went out all the way to Tavach. In other words, he was so excited that, um, uh, that, that, that Papa was so excited that he finally got his, um, his uh, debt paid that he went all the way out there to greet Rav Shemuel Baraba, who successfully brought him the money. We now move on to the next part of the Mishnah, Natan lo etakeren, if the robber paid the principal amount, and he did that in person, now they have to deliver in person, but did not deliver the one-fifth surcharge, the robber does not have to travel far and pay extra expenses in order to um, give the victim the extra surcharge. So what's the difference between the principal and the surcharge that he doesn't have to go there. So we see the nature of this surcharge is that it's a monetary obligation and not a fine. Let's explain what we're talking about. Uh, this guy, he's a robber and he swore falsely. Therefore, not only does he have to pay back uh, the, the what he stole, as any robber does, that would be a monetary restitution. But this robber also, because he swore falsely, and now is in this new category of this um, uh, violation, he has to also atone for himself. Part of the atonement is returning the item. That's why he, he can't get atoned until he returns the item. That's why he has to pay every expense to go and return it to the owner. He also has to pay the surcharge and bring a korban. But that surcharge itself, there's two ways to see it. Either it itself is a monetary obligation that he owes to the uh, to to the uh, uh, that that party like like a loan uh, to to the victim. Um, now he doesn't. Uh, that's uh, so that's one uh, scenario. Or it's a fine. It's a ritual obligation in order for him to receive atonement. He has to give the surcharge also. So you see, the original keren, the principal that he had to pay, it was actually both. He has to pay, he owes it to him, and he also, it's a ritual obligation, he has to give him in order to get, gain atonement. But how about the homish? Does that, does his, it's a ritual obligation to gain atonement? Um, but let's say he doesn't, uh, he doesn't want to get atonement, then he doesn't have to pay, right? Or, is it a monetary, a simple, a simple monetary obligation that he owes him this money? Okay, so we analyze the Mishnah. Since the Mishnah says that the robber does not have to go and pay extra expenses and travel to give it to him, it means it's just a regular monetary obligation. It's like, and it's like a regular robber who doesn't uh, steal. He uh, he has to pay it back, but he doesn't have to give extra expenses to put it in his hand. Or someone like who owes a loan, like we saw before. I owe you a loan. Fine, come here and collect it. Um, or right, prove that you're an agent and all that. I don't have to go specifically and give it to you in order to be uh, absolved. You have to come and collect it. So the fifth, sur- fifth surcharge is a regular monetary obligation and not a special fine that is needed in order to achieve atonement. Therefore, 
if the robber dies, then the heirs of the robber have to pay, which is true of, an, uh, uh, of a monetary obligation that the father didn't pay. So then they can, uh, the one who it's owed to can come and collect it from the heirs. And that would not be true of a fine. If it's a fine, then the father has to pay the fine. But if the father died, then the heirs would not have to pay a fine. Good. So that's a proof from our Mishnah. And we're going to um, uh, uh, add an additional proof from the continuation of the Mishnah and also from another Braita. The continuation Mishnah said, let's say the robber paid the principal and he then he took a false vow saying that, oh, I already paid the fifth surcharge. I don't owe it. But he was lying. So now, because he lied on another debt that he actually owes, so now he's going to have to bring another surcharge on that surcharge, a fifth of that fifth, plus another korban. And if he lies about that too, it goes on forever. You see from here also that the surcharge originally was a uh, was a, a fifth of a, that was a regular monetary obligation. And then because he lied about it, now... It's, uh, it turns into um, something that he has to give as a fine in order to achieve atonement. But now the ex- but, but it now has an extra fifth. But this whole law of swearing falsely, and therefore you have to pay an extra surcharge and a sacrifice, only applies to a regular monetary obligation, which the surcharge is, was originally. So that's another proof. We have a Braita that proves this also. Someone who steals from someone else and he lies falsely about it and then that robber dies. The heirs have to pay the principal and, um, and, the, and the, uh, um, uh, the surcharge, but they don't have to bring Korban Asham. They don't bring Korban Asham because they're not the ones who stole and lied. So they, they don't have to uh, bring um, a guilt offering. But they do have to pay the original amount and the surcharge. They have to pay the surcharge because anytime their father owes something and he dies, they have to pay it if it's a monetary obligation. If it was only a fine, then they would not have to pay it. All right, so now we have all those proofs. But here's the problem. We have a proof the other way. Is it true that the heirs have to pay? the uh, surcharge for their father um, and that would indicate that this is a regular monetary obligation and that's why the heirs have to pay but we have a baraita this is from the sifra the Midrash Halacha on Sefer Vayikra, um, which uh, before, right before with the quotation here, it says that uh, one has to pay the surcharge, but the, a father who, who himself steals and, and lies has to pay a surcharge, but a son, uh, if the father, once the father dies, a son does not have to pay such a surcharge. That the, that's what the Baraita said right before this. But then it elaborates, Vadain Ani Omer. And says, when do we say that the son does not have to pay the fifth surcharge for the father? Well, certainly the son would not have to pay if neither the father nor the son took a false oath. Well, that for sure. Nobody took a false oath. So then nobody would have to pay a surcharge. 
That's all I would know from the, the from the Pesukim that it quoted before this. But let's say either the father or the son or both did swear falsely. How do I know that in that case the son still does not have to pay the fifth surcharge? Because in the context of that pasuk, it says he has to pay back that which he stole or that which he exploited. That means only the person who himself is a robber and swore falsely has to pay the fifth. But um, if the the son who did not rob himself, he didn't do the robbery. So even if the son swears falsely and said, "My no, my father never never had to pay you anything." Uh, even though it, it's it's just a regular it's just a, a regular false swear. I mean, you're not allowed to make a false swear in general. But if you just you know say uh, a false swear about something, you don't have to pay a fifth because of that. So the son, although they made a false swear because they're not the ones that stole, the son does not have to pay a fifth. The point here is that the Baraita, this the last Baraita from the Sifra is arguing that a son never has to pay a fifth. And this is a challenge to the Mishnah and the first B'dayta that said a son does have to pay a fifth. Rav Nachman says there's no uh, contradiction. The Mishnah and the first B'dayta are talking about where the robber, the father, admitted to what he did. So because he admitted to it, now he owes it and the son also will owe it. Um, but the Sifra is talking about where the father never admitted to, to, to it. And so he himself never incurred that obligation to pay. Um, but then it turns out that it was uh, the that it was uh, after he died. Now we know that it was done, that the father had lied, and so uh, since the father did not, never admitted to it, so the son would not have to pay. That's the difference between the the uh, different paraitot. But we challenge this answer of Rav Nachman. If the father never admitted that he did anything wrong, so that means he doesn't admit that he owes money and doesn't admit that he swore falsely because uh, right he thinks that he was claiming that the, the, fault, the swear was true and he didn't owe money. So if he never admitted to, admitted to, the, to it, then the heirs would not have to pay the principle either. And maybe you'll say, yes, indeed, that's the case, that uh, they would not have to pay. And this is talking about the, the Sifra here, right? The Sifra is the case where he did not um, uh, admit, and that's why the Sifra says he doesn't have to pay the surcharge. And so, but if he doesn't have to pay the surcharge because there's no admission by the father, then we don't know they did the father did anything wrong, then he should, the heir shouldn't have to pay the, the principal. And if you say, yeah, yes, that's indeed what the Sifra means, but the whole discussion of the Sifra was discussing, well, do the heirs have to pay the fifth? It, that seems to mean that it's assuming, of course, that yes, they pay, they are paying the, the uh, principal. Otherwise, it would have said, you know, do they don't have to pay the, do they have to pay even pay the principal? But it's only asking, do they pay the fifth? Sounds like for sure the heirs have to pay for the principal. And furthermore, the continuation of the Sifra says, The continuation does discuss about the heirs 
uh, paying the principal. And it says, when do we say that the heirs have to pay the principal for what the father stole? By the way, you see here that yeah, that says the heirs have to pay. Um, so when does he have to pay? Only when um, somewhat, uh, when both of them uh, made made a false vow, right? Uh, the 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 son and the father both both swore falsely the father said i never i never stole anything i don't owe and the son also says my father didn't didn't do anything and it turns out that they were lying then the son has to pay uh, the principal so that i know for sure but what about not that case what if it's the father that swore falsely but not the son or only the son swore falsely but not the father or neither of them swore falsely how do i know that still okay there's no fifth in that case because no one swore falsely in the last case but still how do i know that the son do still has to pay the principal as it says gezela oshik abeda pikadon the pasuk mentions other items robbery exploitation lost items deposit yesh talmud and so there's a lot of extra um, pesukim here that uh, show the extra cases from which we derive that um, there has to there is payment of the principal. So for sure there is principal uh, payment of the principal, and uh, therefore has to be that we we know that he did it. Now if he didn't admit to it, then how would how would we know he did it? And so and why would he have to pay the principal? So in fact that he has to pay the principal means that you cannot say Rav Nachman that the Sifra is talking about a case where he never admitted to it. And so Rav Nachman's answer is not possible. Okay, before we um, give the next answer, we have to explain this Yesh Talmud. I, I explained already what the conclusion is, but it's kind of confusing, right? Talmud Lamad, it quotes Pesukim, and then Yesh Talmud. What does this Yesh Talmud at the end of the uh, so Ravuna was repeating this uh, statement here, here that we just mentioned, and Amarle Raba Bere, Raba, the son of Ravuna, was listening and said, Yesh Tamud Kamalmod or Yesh Talimu Kamalmod. Can you repeat what you just said again? Remember, everything is this is all Torah Peh. They're not reading it. He's listening to it, and he says, I, I didn't hear what you, catch what you said. It sounded like you said, Yesh Talmud, but that doesn't uh, seem to make any sense at the end of a sentence or anywhere. Um, so maybe oh, maybe you said, Yesh Talmud, which would fit the context. Right, therefore, it's, Yesh Talmud, you have to pay for, the son has to pay for anything that the father stole or or um, kept, a, kept a, a lost item or something that he had deposited with him and didn't return. Um, so what, what, which one did you say, Dad? Yes, you heard right the first time. I said, yes, Tamud. There is what to learn from here. And what I meant is that there's a lot of extra, extra words um, in this pasuk. From where, and those extra words teach us that the son has to pay for the principal. Okay, so in the end, we know for sure that he has to pay, the son has to pay the principal. Therefore, we know for sure the father did something wrong. We know that because the father must have admitted that he did something wrong. And so um, you can't uh, give the answer of Rav Nachman uh, that the, the Mishnah and the first Braita is when he admitted and the second one is when they did not admit. So we need a new answer. Ela mai lo hoda, lo hoda abiv Rather, when Rav Nachman said about the second Braita, the Sifra, when he said that that's talking about a case where he did not admit that he refers only to the father, but the son did admit to what his father did. 
So, in other words, the father stole and swore falsely about it, but he never admitted to it. So in his lifetime, we never know that he did that. So therefore, the father never became obligated to the surcharge in his lifetime. Only after he died, the son then, when said, you know, first the son might, may himself have, have sworn falsely about it, but then the son admitted, you know, my father actually, he did steal and swear and swore falsely. And now the son also himself um, swore falsely originally about it. In that case, the son certainly does have to pay the um, surcharge, uh, sorry, the the um, principal, because he just admitted that his father stole, so his father owed money, so now the son will have to owe the money. That's what the second case, is, uh, the, sec the Sifra, second Brata is talking about. But we ask about that, but in this case, the son himself made a, a false swear, so why doesn't he have to pay a surcharge himself for his own false swear? We're talking about a case where the stolen object no longer is in existence. See, if the father stole, then whether the object is in existence or not, the father owes money. So he would, uh, if, he, if he swore falsely, he would have to pay the surcharge. However, the son, remember the son says he does not pay, uh, only one who stole has to um, give the surcharge. So if the item is in existence, he has this stolen item in existence. But if the item is, does not exist, the son is not the one that stole. So even if he swore falsely, he does not have to pay a surcharge. So the item does not exist. That's what we're talking about. Wait a second. But if the item does not exist, then the son should not even have to pay the principal. Because if, assuming that the son only inherited cash, movable items, um, the law is that the son does not have to pay for um, uh, for stolen uh, uh, a stolen payment that his father owed um, uh, or a, a loan that his father owed, uh, the son does not have to pay from that cash inheritance. So oh, we must be talking about a case where the son actually inherited land from his father. And in that case, that uh, the father had land and then it goes to the son. In that case, the son does have to clear out and pay the debts of the father. But then we ask, oh, so even if there is land that the son inherited, so what? The money that the father owes for what he stole is the same as an oral loan. And in the case of an oral loan, one, the, the creditor cannot collect from the heirs and not even if the heirs have land and also not from purchase property um, because an oral loan does not create a lien on property. So therefore, the son should not have to pay the principal. Oh, we must be talking about a case where the father had already stood judgment and there was already a trial and a verdict. Once there's a verdict, so that become the verdict is like a written loan, uh, a payment that you have to, uh, something that you have to pay after a, a court decided you have to pay it, um, is uh, does create a lien on land. And that's why the sons have to pay that principle. Wait a second, if there was a, uh, already a trial, so now this, uh, and, and then the son lies about it, then the, and then admits after, then the son should have to pay a fifth surcharge for 
um, for for that money that he owed and lied about. We explained because Rav Huna, the son of Rav Yeshua, says, no, the whole law of paying a surcharge does not apply if you deny um, payment of, uh, of something that you owe where that debt is secured by land. Um, because then the, uh, the creditor can go and say he has a lien on the land. So he'll go and collect from the land. Um, so it doesn't affect him as much the fact that the, uh, that the debtor uh, lied about it and swore uh, as a lie, right? It would, that uh, is much uh, uh, more effective. The false swear is much more effective with if it's an oral loan, that's a big problem. And so there, therefore, here precisely because um, there is a lien on the land, um, even though the son swore falsely about it, he doesn't have to pay a fifth because you never have to pay a fifth in such a case. All right, so in that, in that we answered all the questions and uh, we um, uh, re- revived Rav Nachman's response. And now another possible response uh, uh, within Rav Nachman. Rav Amar hacha b'mayaskinan kegon shaita disakaya shel abiv mufkedet biyad acherim keren meshalem tahaite chomesh lo meshalem dechi ishtaba bekushta ishtaba taha lo hava yada. So when we asked before that the son should have to pay the fifth surcharge for his own lie. And we answered that, oh, it's where the uh, stolen item doesn't exist. And the son, the son does not have to pay for swearing about an item that doesn't exist. So we had to assume that the item that didn't exist. And that led to this, um, this answer that we just finished. But Avas says, no, I can even talk about where the item does exist. And that what you asked, well, then the son should have to pay the fifth uh, surcharge for his own lie. Ah, here we're talking about a case where the stolen item was in the father's sack. Di sakaya is a Greek word, mean di double sack, literally like an English sack. A double sack, like this donkey that has two sacks on each side of it, uh, saddlebags. Um, So the stolen item was in the saddlebags, and this whole donkey with the saddlebags was in someone else's possession. Someone else was holding on to it. So the son didn't know that the the stolen an item existed. He didn't know about it. In that case, the son, once they fi- find that, find it and realize, oh, the father actually had the stolen item the whole time, then the son will have to pay the uh, principal because it's right there. It's, it's a stolen item. A son always has to pay, has to give back a stolen item, even if he inherits uh, nothing, uh, no land. Um, he still has to give back the intact stolen item. And the son, it's true, he swore falsely about it, but he will not have to pay a surcharge because when he made the vow, he thought he was telling the truth. He sincerely didn't know that the father had stolen it. Once that guy who had the donkey then returns it and, and then they look in and they see the stolen item. So then he realizes, oh, I swore falsely, um, but it was a mistake. So you don't have to pay a surcharge if you swore falsely by mistake. So Deva says that the second Baraita, the Sifra, uh, could in fact be talking about this case, and this also resolves the contradiction. Baruch Adonai Leolam, Amen v'Amen. Or like a...